So let's see everybody warm up, get to it. Matthew, Matthew, John, X, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Genesis, X, Leviticus, Numbers. There we go. Hello, hello. <laughs> Talking to the silver thing. <laughs> this is James, and this is why. Boom. And then we can go. Yeah. Good. That's why I was. I know you got it. I, just, I think so, yeah. Are we, Are we recording right now? No. Thanks for tuning in to Seeker. Season 1 is the Book of James. We decided to kick off this podcast with the Book of James because no matter what your background or what your experience is with uh, Christianity or the Bible, um, this is a very accessible way to understand what it means to be a Christian. I really do like this part. Uh, Who is wise? Wait, wait, understand. I thought we were doing 4 1, right? We're not done with 3 yet. I he thought went, we went through yeah. 3, though. He worked it out. I mean, if you want to talk about more, then you can talk and about more. And I expanded more. it, but you weren't listening to me. You were trying to uh, think of your way to disagree. He was and looking agree. up a YouTube video. That's what happens. Let's do 4. What is it? Okay, you feel say good about the fruit say. of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't at all. We skipped that part. So That's okay. a money verse right there. That's another page in my Bible, brother. I'm just saying we killed this page. <laughs> I didn't look up and see 17. Yeah, it's true. We kind of stopped at 15, technically. We didn't talk much beyond that. All right, so make it rain, Daniel. Where do wars and fights... Sorry. Where do they come from? No, no, no. Back up. Do your thing. No, it's too far. And scene. I just think that this is such a key part of... The end of chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Rhetorical question, right? Because if you're wise and understanding, are you going to jump up and... That's me, James! No, you're not. You're going to let your conduct be... Your good conduct shows your works done in the meekness of wisdom. And I just love that phrase, the meekness of wisdom. That when you have an understanding of the will of God, to the best that you can, at whatever point you're at in your life. When you have that wisdom that comes from above, that James says is peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy and good fruits, when, when that wisdom is being demonstrated in your life, it's done in meekness. It's showing good conduct. And it's such a a lovely picture of sort of the Christian life that you're not out there condemning people you're not out there just blasting away thou shalt not this that and the other you're not out there arguing it seems for the sake of argument getting involved in like foolish disputes right Mm -hmm. you're demonstrating your wisdom through meekness and through humility and through that gentleness of spirit that comes. And so when Paul's talking about the peace of God that surpasseth understanding is going to dwell in your hearts and in your minds. When you have that security of having that wisdom and that understanding, and you have that, when that's your backstop, when that's your foundation, then... When you do speak and when you do teach, it's going to be the way it should be. 
the way that we're told it should be with divine wisdom. What's interesting, too, that he says, who among you is wise and understanding, question mark, let him show his good behavior, or show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. You know, if this question was just asked of just people, you know, just on the earth, who among you is wise and understanding? We would say probably let him, you know, teach you and let him show you the right way to do it, right? Like let him let him explain it, something along those lines. But whoever's wise and understanding, if they're indeed wise and understanding, they don't even have to tell you. They just got to show you their good behavior. Yeah. It's just going to happen. Like they don't even need to use their words to teach what they're so wise and understanding about. Fantastic point. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, uh, but in the end is the way of death. And um, I was looking up uh, Galatians 6, and Galatians 6, the, the, the part that I love so much, um, talks about how you kind of bear one another's burdens. But in verse number one, it talks about um, if you have see a brother who's struggling, then you then you approach him, and it says, "Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." And it you know that that made me think of this even when we are approaching someone, are what we say can help restore and bring someone back into the fold who is out there right and the the interesting thing is paul the the way paul puts this and especially the latter verses he makes sure that you know that you're not the sin police right it's not your job to get the siren on and go around and go gotcha right you're not bringing the woman who got caught in adultery and throwing her down and go gotta do something jesus right instead everything we say is, is with the intention of love and admonishing and carefulness so that so that we can really, really help a brother out. And as you scroll down, this, this complements what you said, Jesse. It says in verse number three, For if anyone thinks to himself to be something when he is nothing, then he deceives himself. Right? And that is the message of James just a chapter back. Do not be deceived. Mm-hmm. James has also given us a pretty good barometer as to tell, you know, to get an idea of where it is that somebody's coming from. It's a way to evaluate those who would teach and those who would hold themselves up to be wise and understanding and those who would, you know, proclaim to have some sort of spiritual wisdom on their on, on their account, you know, because if it's envious and self-seeking, if it's if it's boastful, if it's a lie against the truth, if it's self-serving, if it's confusion, um, that's all that earthly wisdom, and that's all put in opposition to what James describes as heavenly wisdom, which is meekness and good conduct and peaceableness and gentleness, merciful and impartial and not hypocritical. Um, so we do have that that sort of measure, that standard, that mirror that we can hold up and say, how are you demonstrating where your wisdom's coming from? How are you demonstrating this understanding you claim to have? 
is it heavenly or is it earthly? You know, we have that way to look at it. I like that you brought that up. That brings me back to the beginning of the chapters that talks about teachers. And and think of it as a listener is one who's going to be in the audience. Who do we want to be taught by? Those characteristics that you just named, which it defines as um, earthly, uh, actually demonic, sensual, those are often the characteristics that people run after, that, that they want to be around. Interestingly enough, in chapter two, when James talks, you know, and he talks about, you know, when someone comes into our assembly um, who's dressed, you know, maybe poorly or, you know, they're downtrodden, like those are the people that we may push away and says that we would instead prefer the person who comes in who is rich. Then later he says, why would you associate with those? Aren't those the very people who basically persecute you, right? Those are the people who oppress you. Um, And here we find that as he makes this contrast, it's those are often the people, again, they're in the same situation, same type of people. Those are the people we want to take wisdom from. Um, it, it's it's backwards, but for some reason that's very attractive in the world that we live in, you know? If, if you think about it, it always seems to be the person who's kind of has their chest puffed out and, you know, they're very proud, and those are the people who are like, oh, that's power, that's, that's who we should be like. Um but that's not what the Sermon on the Mount says. In fact, it goes the other direction. It's a call for meekness and being humble. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Yeah. And then Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's what Jesus says, right? And then Philippians chapter 4, 5, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And it's just all over the place. Titus chapter 3, to malign no one, to be peace, peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So, you are the, the master of James. This is so not true. But he doesn't really hit master the... James. He doesn't master James. He doesn't really seem to hit the stop sign from verse 18 rolling in, right? So we end, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace and and then he starts talking about wars fighting where does that come from uh verse 4 1 do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and you do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war you do not have because you do not ask it's interesting that, that we talk about like this this is this is a contrast between wisdom, godly wisdom, earthly wisdom. I just love that it keeps saying demonic and sensual. Really puts a really negative tone on it. And and to me, operating under wisdom that is not from the Lord is a pride problem. Because you sure, yeah. you, you want it to be about you. And then he pushes into chapter 4, verse 1, and he very much continues to expound on what is a pride problem and what is a a personal desire issue. It absolutely is. And he's he's mirroring what Jesus said about desire and prideful thinking in the way that we approach life, the way that we think that we have some sort of 
you know, that we want to take our, our fate into our own hands and we want to be our, you know, we want to, we want to control the physical things around us to give us this illusion of security and all that crisis. When he says, don't worry about these things. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. And don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then skipping down in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And that's what James is referring back to here when he says, you you want all these things. You want all these things that you, you covet and you lust after and you desire for. But you don't get the things that you really need. You don't have that peaceable spirit, that meekness of wisdom, because you don't know how to... You're going about it backwards. You're doing it wrong. You're not... You're missing the point. Because he says in verse 3, you ask, or yeah, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So he's, he's teaching us how to pray right, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. teaching us how to, how to seek first the kingdom of God is not to do it for yourself. It's not about you. It's not about your personal gain and your personal comfort and your personal security. It's about the kingdom of God. And it's about God's will and God's plan and your place in that plan. It's crazy, too, when you actually try and have an intentional prayer where you focus really on that verse (laughs) to make your prayer absolutely not be about you. (laughs) To make your prayer be about anything except for, you know, you asking for worldly things, essentially, right? If you say, okay, I'm not going to ask about, you know, Oh, maybe I'll make more money at a different job. You know, help me make the right decision on my job, or whatever it might be. But if you just really commit yourself to eliminating that out of it, it it's kind of funny because it just forces you into this putting others before you kind of mentality. And I don't know, it's it's just funny because then then you find how bad it you are because <laughs> you keep on accidentally like trying to like. Oh, oh yeah, I can't pray about that, right? I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> okay, so now what do I pray about? I've prayed about three other things. Well, I'm kind of running out of things now if I can't talk about myself. You know? It's kind of, it, it really enlightens your character. You know, when I'm you're... so glad it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> the look you had on your face, I didn't know if you were just like, Jesse, you're yeah, really no, messed no, no, up. Or like, you're you're messed messed up. Like, yeah, it's me I'm too. not the only really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Verse number two, it seems to also imply that that you will grapple for things and you, you will do a lot of really messed up stuff to try to grab what ultimately you'll never be able to get your hands on. And some of it is because we do not know what we really want. Obviously, we don't know what we need, but we don't know what we're reaching for. Um, it says you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You you will you know you're gonna sin you're gonna you're gonna overextend you're gonna step on some people you're gonna do some things that are completely irrational to try to reach something to make you feel a certain way because you think that you're after but you don't know what you need you know it 
it, it, it makes me reflect back to, you know, passages where it talks about giving good gifts and understanding what you really need. But even even in the pa- that same passage, it says even a father doesn't know how to give a good gift. Like we we really, really think that we know what will sustain us. But back to Jesus's words, we're, we're completely going after the wrong thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do everything that we shouldn't do to try to obtain it. And in the end, we don't obtain it. And we're very empty. Yeah, verse 2 kind of seems like it's um, exactly the opposite of the Beatitudes type of lesson that we're learning. You lesson don't have, so you commit murder. But what would Jesus say mm-hmm. about that? He says, you know, if you even think about murder, you've already committed it in your heart. You know, and then... You know, James says, if you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Well, if you even think poorly or think negative thoughts about your brother, you're sinning in your heart, essentially, right? So murder, yeah. this kind of just takes it the, op- the opposite direction of where Jesus wants to be taking it. I don't know if we really want to get into it or not. Probably not really. But lately I've been thinking this thought of, you know, that Satan, basically from what we read earlier in James, how... You know, it's our own desires that essentially cause us to sin. You know, so then, you know, what is Satan's role in that? And it seems to me that Satan is just, like, he's really good. However it works, and I obviously metaphysically, I don't really understand the, how, how it works, but he's really good at creating these lusts and these desires in the world. You know, there's all these distractions that happen on this earth, and I think that somehow he must be the the motivating force or somehow helping influence just this plethora of things that can distract us from God. And it doesn't have to be bad things either necessarily, right? I mean, there could be a ton of things that distract us from God that are perfectly fine, wholesome things. It's just, you know, Satan has this way of just creating so many options for us that you know, we're confused by all the options that are out there, or it gives us a false thing to strive for. But no matter what it is, it's just basically all he has to do is just slightly dilute our focus on God. And eventually that's going to make a big, um, a big problem for us down the road. I did a lot of flying a couple of years back in flight school and whatnot. And, you know, if your course is off just a f- like a few degrees on your heading, it's not going to be too long before you completely miss your destination, <laughs> right? So the devil doesn't have to do a lot of, um, doesn't have to put a lot of things out there to distract you. He just has to find a couple little things and then your heart desires it and you go for it. And pretty soon, you know, you veered off and then your ways no longer line up with God's ways. You know, you started um, doing things for your own pleasures. You know, you started asking for the wrong things because your mind has somehow slowly been accustomed to thinking this is what I want this is important to me and God cares about me so I'm sure he he wants me to pray for this because he cares for me too you know and it just creates this whole big mess it's just interesting how that all works together you're in Matthew 6 when you were reading reading a minute ago you know 633 everybody's got it on their coffee mug but 
I guess everybody drinks out of the mug. You know, I don't necessarily read what's on the side of the mug. It says, <laughs> seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You were saying, don't worry. That's what he says. He was, after you go through all these things, don't worry. All you have to worry about is keeping your eye on the kingdom of God. In Philippians 4, 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, is there? if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And, I mean, those are the things that shape the course. Those are the things that we should always try to align to and be completely congruent with. I, again, on my part, it's always self-justification for reasons why these are that those are good things and those are good things to add to character but it's okay to have some of these other things and to use your example i think i think what happens is that it is somewhat prideful because i think it's okay to to kind of veer away from some of those those things and maybe have some other qualities cuz i i can control it like i'm really flying the plane but what he keeps bringing us back to he's like you dude you can't fly right you really can't fly i mean there's there's really nothing that you can do in and of yourself you i've been flying the plane the whole time right mm-hmm. but i'm telling you how you can behave and how you should act and what will keep you from grabbing the stick and trying to do it cuz every time you try to grab the stick and do it you do a terrible job right um and i think that's what we have to keep reminding ourselves is like what is good what should i lock in on what does good look like and what good looks like it's it's not us. What good looks like is the Father. It's the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just have to keep our mind on those things that are righteous. One more flight analogy, because that sets me up for this perfect like visual that I just got in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So... So, you know, when when you're going through flight training, you have this uh, exercise that you do that is called unusual attitudes. It's unusual flight attitudes, meaning you get yourselves into these weird situations where you're pitched up and kind of banked over on the side and kind of out of control. And and basically your your flight instructor will be flying and get you into this, some crazy configuration in the air and your head will be, your eyes will be closed and you'll be looking down. And then he'll say, okay, go ahead and look up and recover. And so then all of a sudden you look up and you're trying to assess the situation really fast and figure out, okay, I'm, I'm nose up, so I got to add power, you know, I got to pitch down, I got to roll wings level. You kind of go through these steps in your head. And um, well, this one time I had a flight instructor that he said, okay, I'm not going to get you into this crazy configuration. I'm going to let you do it to yourself. Go ahead and just fly the airplane with your eyes closed and just fly by feel. And then when I tell you to recover, open your eyes and recover. And so, so I thought, well, okay, well, this can't be too bad. I mean, you know, flying an airplane straight and level is actually really pretty easy. So anyway, I just tried it. And after like just, you know, 20 seconds or something like that, I heard the engine speeding up a little bit. And so I, I thought, okay, well, it's speeding up because I must be slowly pitching down. You know, I'm picking up airspeed, right? So I, I pulled back on the stick to try and level out. And I felt G-forces pulling on me. And there were more G-forces than there should have been for how hard I was pulling the stick. And the, and the engine wasn't getting, you know, any quieter. I wasn't seeming to slow the airplane down. And so I pulled harder. And then 
it just got more g-forces and the engine kept spooling up higher and higher and i could hear more wind blowing by so i knew it was just going faster and faster i was like but i am pulling back on the stick it was the weirdest thing and then after doing that and starting to pull a fair bit of g-forces the the flight instructor said okay go ahead and recover and so i was excited to do this because i was wondering how what position i was possibly in and so so when I looked up, I was at like a 50 degree bank flat on, you know, like the side of my wing basically pointed straight down. And I was like in this super steep downward spiral. And I didn't even know I was turning. I thought, you know, it made sense then because I was like, okay, that's why I pull harder and I'm not going up. It's because I was tightening the turn. And, and the whole point of that exercise was that the second you trust yourself and not the instruments, it's not going to take you long at all to be a dead man. And so when you get into a, a flight configuration, like where you're in the clouds or something like that, you need to just trust the instruments, right? And that's the parallel to the word. The word's the instruments. The second we put it on to ourselves and take control or figure it out, it is not going to end well. Thanks for listening to Seeker. Find us at seekerpodcast.com. Check out our website to get more information about the Seeker project. Also check out our blog and some other information we have there as well. Thank you, my friends. Have a good one.